Hey, everybody. I have Einar Volset with me. He's actually a colleague uh, right where I work in a co-working space in Santa Cruz. And um, sitting right behind me all this time has been someone with uh, some of the answers I've been looking for on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I've been... I've uh, been talking to a lot of friends and colleagues in the in the space about questions of sales and marketing and developing leads and uh, you know running businesses of the shape of a web development shop with uh, contractors serving clients and experiencing feast or famine. And um, Andrew, you're a, you're an iOS dev. That's you know, right. At least that's how you introduced yourself to me when we first met. You that's first a while ago, in. though. <laughs> Uh, and so you, you know, you've had that experience with that uh, feast or famine um, way of living. Sure. Uh, but you've productized your consulting, and you do a lot of teaching and, uh, and instruction and collaboration with people in that realm. Yep. And I've I already learned a lot from from you in that regard. And one of the things I want to draw emphasis to is that when I talk to other people about how they run their firms, I ask them questions about. All right, so what happens when business dries up for a couple of months? What do you do? How do you go out and prospect? How do you go out and generate new leads? Panic. Panic, yeah. (laughs) Often I get the answer in the form of, well, the the structure of our business is the answer to that question. The structure of our business uh, dictates how we go and get new work, and that is very much in line with how you set up some attributes of your business and your career. The structure of it lends itself to sales cycles and marketing and Selling as a product instead, yeah. So uh, I've been really fascinated to learn from you and have you, um, uh, you know, expose me to a world that I wasn't familiar with. Uh, word of mouth business is what most of us uh, know and experience in running the kind of companies that we do. Sure. Um, but it makes you insane. I think you develop a lot <laughs> Eventually, of yeah. by doing that. You I think you go insane or you get a job a lot of the time. The, psychologically, the lack of control. Sure. The lack of the, the feeling that I just don't know what to do when things slow down. Sure. I think a lot of people feel the way I do. I've been quite successful, but I still have those cycles. Sure. But you do pro- productize consulting, which means you take a service that you formerly provided and you've turned it into a product. And because it's now a product, you can subject it to a lot of things that products can be subjected to, marketing techniques, sure. prospecting, that sort of thing. Outbound sales, inbound sales make a lot more sense. So all that language is stuff that you can apply, and that's language that people in my area don't really know, like sure. inbound lead, outbound lead, I don't know what the hell that is. I do now, because <laughs> I've been applying myself this year. But, Beating over the head with it. Yeah, and you've been, you've been force-feeding it to me, but <laughs> why don't you give some background about how you productized some of your work, and what it, what it I'm really interested for you to talk about how that changed your revenue, um, and how you derive most of your uh, income. Sure. From the productized consulting as opposed to the actual service level consulting that you did. Sure, happy to. Um, so a little bit more of my background. So I did, I've been in academia and I've done like more classic, um, you know, Y Combinator, Silicon Valley startups. But uh, since about 2009, I'm thinking maybe eight, I was doing, you know, standard consulting. It was mostly iOS stuff. Um started out only being me, started building out a small team of contractors that I worked with. A very common progression, I think, for a lot of freelancers as they get more successful. Um, but like a couple of years ago, and, and during the time I also did what I think is also very common, is that you sit down and you like have a side product 
that's a, some sort of a SaaS product or something you want to sell and the dream is, you know, to have this grow so you can just make money while you sleep. Um, and I had a couple of those that didn't go anywhere for a number of reasons, you know, some of which were that I didn't know what I was doing in terms of marketing and sales. <laughs> so that was kind of a problem. Um, but a couple of years ago, I uh, took this workshop by a couple of guys, the heroes, actually now friends of mine, Patrick McKenzie and Brennan Dunn. And they, you know, they were just like, hey, you know, you know, it was called something like recurring revenue for, uh, for freelancers or something like that. And I sat through this and I was like, this, this is what I should do. So what I ended up thinking about was <clears throat> how can I take what it is that I'm doing or a small part of it and structure it as a, instead of doing like go out, get a custom contract, a custom spec, and then bill or invoice and then get you know, money or not, depending on how the client's feeling. It was something that I could go out, I could you know, have their credit card and file, I could charge them every um, you know, every month. And um, really what happened was I started selling this as just a, an ongoing um, an ongoing service maintenance contract for my existing customers. And then um, I decided after about six months, I was like, there's really no reason why uh, I couldn't sell this to somebody else. You know, what is it about, um, you know, the, the thing that I decided to productize was uh, maintenance, ongoing maintenance for businesses that already have an app in the app store. So instead of building the app itself, I would just sell this ongoing maintenance contract. So typically what happens is a company pays six figures to build an app, they get the app delivered, and then the agency moves on. And so where we came in or where I came in was like, okay, what happens from then on? How do you prepare for you know the new iPhone release or the new Android release or whatever? And, um, yeah, I decided that, you know, there's really no reason I have to be the one who, or, or my team has to have been the one who built that in the first place. So that was kind of the big change for me when I started going out and selling to companies that just, you know, had an app in the app store. And that was the criteria for uh, me being able to sell to them and provide value to them. And um, what really made a difference was starting to think about, okay, this is, you know, much less like a consulting business where, you know, if you're doing custom app development or, or custom any kind of development, it's really hard to figure out, you know, do prospecting in the classic sense. Because almost by definition, the fact that a company is considering building a new product is a secret. Like they like to keep it in-house and they only take it on, you know, unwrap it as it's there and ready to go. Versus if you have a product or, or in my case, like a productized consulting thing, then there are very clear signals that people are in the market for what you for what you have. And in my case, it's the fact that a company of a specific size released an app into the app store. So that actually gave me the ability to go out and build uh, automated outbound uh, lead systems. So what I ended up doing was uh, uh, scrolling the app store continuously to find when companies that fit my perfect customer profile, when those guys... Uh, uh, released an app, I would find someone in that organization, ideally high up, CEO, VP of engineering, CTO, and just email them and say, you know, very clearly, this is this is what I am and what the, the value that I offer, and are you interested in talking about this? And systematizing and automating that process is what's taken my, um, you know, has taken the income from that from being like a nice buffer to being, you know, 
the major part of my income right now. And the difference has been for me personally is like before I would pretty much take any consulting job that walked in the door, whereas now I'm extremely picky. You know, like I will take the really high value or the really interesting gigs, but not much else. Um, and it's given me time to do other things too. Like, so, you know, I just launched and actually just relaunched now. It's going to launch again June 1st. Um, my prioritized consulting course, which is where I teach this Which process. I have every intention of plugging here. That's part of the reason we're doing it. So I want you to have an opportunity to talk about it. Because people who listen to this would really yeah. want to sign up for that and, and take advantage of it. Cool. Really yeah. Smart. Yeah. I mean, as long as they can sign up by June 1st, then, uh, you know, <laughs> limited time offer, people. But uh, thanks for those sales tickets. There's you as salesman again. There you go. But um, it allows me to do, like, the prioritized consulting course, which I feel passionate about. Like, this is why I'm doing this thing is like so I want to help freelancers understand how to better sell and market themselves um, but also do other things like uh, you know I just launched another product which is sort of in the outbound sales domain and this is something that I just simply didn't have time to do before like, you know because I was either I was only working you know on whatever gig it was that I was working on um, and it allows me to project you know cash flows six nine months out pretty confidently yeah Versus before, it was great when it was great, and it was terrible when it was terrible. Um, you know, I'm sure you've all had it, but it's like, oh, yeah, giant, you know, someone who owes you $50,000 just went out of business. Like, great. There's nothing you can do. Versus with, you know, a product business where people are paying you $500, $1,000 a month. If a client's an asshole, you just fire them. Or if a credit card bounces, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. Versus a big check bounces, it's not so fun. This is something I'm coming to terms with this year, um, and and I discussed it at length on the last podcast with with a friend of mine named Brad Parskill, and he has a business where it's still a service business. He hasn't productized sure. in the way that you have. However, he has because he serves um, he serves small clients in a local area. He's in San Antonio, mm -hmm. and it, almost as a rule, he serves smaller clients, and he has many of them. Seven hundred some odd websites under management. Sure. And he has a recurring model. The recurring model is um, is the marketing and advertising services that his firm provides. So they build the platform the website up front for the client, but then they retain the client over time by offering them this advertising and marketing services. They consider themselves a partner. Sure. The yeah. And so they they can and they can using analytics they can prove their worth. They can say you know we made you some money. I think that's a key. I think that's a key thing. I think. Um, one of the benefits that beyond the fact that you can sell it as a product as opposed to, you know, custom consulting services is the fact that it's much easier to quantify the value that you provide to the end customer because you can look at it and you're doing the same little thing over and over again and you can look at it and say, well, I, for exactly the same kind of customer you are, I managed to save them X by, because they didn't have to hire or I brought them five new customers last year or, you know, I added this much to their bottom line. Um, and so that's, it's that's extremely valuable versus I think with a lot of the time what happens with consulting is like even if you're you're being or you're being paid a lot of money but I, you know I think a lot of the time certainly in, in where I am and where I was in the sort of speculative app world I look at a custom app that I built and I'm like what are the chances that they're going to make a ton of money from this probably not super high like it's you know one in ten if they're lucky um and so that can be a little demoralizing on the consulting front because you're working on building something custom, you're spending all this time, and you're like, well, 
you know, sometimes these things don't even launch versus if you have something that's productized, much more easier to quantify in terms of um, uh, value to the customer, then it's easier to, co to convince yourself that this is actually something valuable. And if you, if you truly believe that what you're doing is something valuable for the client, it's easier to sell. It's easier to have a relationship with somebody about that. One of the things I like so much about this model is that you, you have a base and your base is composed of little units. Sure. There's little engagements with a bunch of different clients, like my friend Brad, 700 similar websites. You know, we, my company's diversified, but we've been working our way up the food chain because I just thought that's what you do. Sure, yeah. bigger, bigger, bigger and bigger clients, clients. Bigger yeah, yeah. okay, look how successful we are, no, not so much. Because you get a perfect storm and two or three cancel, or mm -hmm. for reasons completely disconnected from your work and the quality of your efforts. Sure. They say, no, we're done. We're going to cancel the contract or we've been acquired by somebody and it's all over. Sure. Yeah. It's terrible. I mean, yes. that's, that's not yeah. a stable business. No. You, th you look successful, but you're not. You're actually very, very fragile. True. And, um, and I'm staring that in the face right now this year. I'm really looking at that. Because I, when I started off, I was smaller. My engagements were smaller and there were more sure. of them. And I was more stable. I could weather this kind of thing. Sure. And I thought I was supposed to be doing this, but I was wrong. Sure. You can do both. Hopefully I can do both. Do what you're doing. You know, have engagements that are cherry-picked to really uh, want to work on that exciting project or the, the money's good or the relationship is really fun. Sure. Do a few of those but then have a base of something else. I think, I think, that's, I mean, I think that's achievable for, for most people who sit down to, and decide to dedicate themselves to that for you know, six months. Like It's not going to come out in two weeks' time, but you know, being able for, for a lot of customers, for a lot of particular individual consultants and freelancers, just knowing that you have 2500 bucks coming in every month no matter what is nice, and, you know, and I think, can you read, can you make it much bigger? Yeah, my business is six figures now on for app aftercare and, you know, looking to grow it to seven. But, you know, it, and, and the other nice thing about this is you, you, you can do one thing and then bring it up to say 2,500 a month. But because you're usually not building a lot of custom software, you don't have a long lead time for building the other product. It's all about like identifying the pain, identifying the customer and, figuring out how to provide value to that customer and how to sell that, you can turn around and build a, another thing that's either related or similar or ideally in the same market as the, as your previous one. So that's, for example, what I'm doing now with, you know, I have app aftercare and I have the outbound tool that I was using internally. And then I was like, well, and some of my friends was like, you know, I would pay for that. I was like, okay, how much would you like to pay for that? <laughs> and so boom, I have another product that I just launched that I have my first customer for. And so, do I think, you know, do all of them have to be smashing successes? No, but having like one or two or three of them where, um, you know, maybe they're, maybe, maybe all three of them are bringing in 2,500 bucks a month for a lot of freelancers, a lot of consultants, that's enough. That's plenty to have like a huge buffer compared to zero. This model is a lot more, um, it's a lot better suited to the nature of the, uh, the realm in which we operate, which is the internet really, arguably. Sure. And the thing is changing it's, I mean, it's a cliche to say it changes very quickly, but it's true. Sure. Uh, your model is better because you can have, maybe app aftercare is relevant for a while, and at some point it won't be. Sure. But you'll be working on other things. You'll have already diversified. Sure. And, and your overall approach is uh, you can stamp it onto other service offerings that would continue to be relevant. Sure. Take the place of something that's not working anymore. If you are going up market on the consulting side and you have big clients who come to you because you specialize in a thing, 
and that thing stops being interesting to like big clients. Flash. <laughs> yeah, imagine your flash developer. I met one who's like a genius with it. Uh, I don't care how smart he is; it doesn't matter anymore. Uh, um, I mean, they're big. They're, they're big. Like a, a mutual friend of ours, his his friend um, was a big agency and was used to serving um, customers with you know custom flash animations, advertising, and you know used to have fifty, at least fifty employees, and now is like down to three or four. You know, in the in the space of a couple of years. So it's brutal. But, and you know, like you don't have to go the route that I do, which tend, because I'm a distributed systems guy by nature, <laughs> I like small little things, uh, and many of them. Like, you, I still talk to a lot of people and they're like, well, my dream is to have like my own SaaS business, my own like proper, proper product business. And like, this, will this stop me from doing that? Do I have to like focus on this productized hybrid model? And I'm like, well, first of all, if you look at the successful SaaS companies like HubSpot, like they're making a ton of their money from what they call professional services. Mm-hmm. And that's basically like productized consulting, but with your own product, right? And furthermore, I think if you start having relationships with customers where you're having, you know, uh, 10 customers pay you a thousand bucks a month for solving a problem in a given subdomain, then chances are you're starting to see, and you're using some software and services off the shelf just to solve this problem for them, then chances are you might find something that's like, you know what, this is really missing. Like there isn't really a good solution for this very specific problem. And if you then wanted to go and start building, actually building the software to solve that specific problem in a way that would help your existing customers, well, you already have baked in alpha and beta customers who are already used to paying you money for that. He will give you real feedback as opposed to just, asking your mom and dad and your friends in the pub, you know, like it's, it's, I think it's a good bridge to do the SaaS, to go the SaaS model too. Um, I mean, my company was shaped by my clients, my initial clients. And, and I've, I've, I've long felt that the, the sales process to whatever extent I have one has been really important that I be involved in because I'm, I'm touching the marketplace and I'm able to hear what's going on and what sure. people are complaining about and what they want fixed, what they need done. Um, and that's why I like this model is because you're still it's still service in the sense that you're still touching human beings and and providing them a, a thing that requires your attention or the attention of people who, who work for you. Uh, you know, straight ahead SaaS is more like um, you know let's have a feedback form on the website to make sure people want so and so feature. It's it's more disconnected and somehow that's appealing to people. But I'd rather be touching the marketplace so that I can know where it's going. I think that, and I think honestly, like you start seeing more and more SaaS, you know, like I'm in the whole, you know, Micropreneur Academy, self-funded bootstrap businesses. And I'm seeing more and more, even the guys who have like SaaS businesses that are profitable, you know, they're, they're, it ends up being um, more of a high touch, like at least where they make most of their money is on the, on the high touch side anyway, where there is some human interaction, there is some of that mm-hmm. providing that value, just they happen to use the tools that they built. It's not going to stop you from like providing the same kind of value, but just use an off-the-shelf tool to provide that solution. You know, so I think you know this now concierge onboarding and you know done for you instead of you know um, it's sort of a pure SaaS solution. I think is I think is expanding in a lot of different industries. In your case with App Aftercare, um, the the kind of revenue you're talking about means it's well beyond you providing the service. Um, how many other humans? Uh, tell me how the the human resources side of that works out. So for me, it's <coughs> um, it's actually not that high. Like I have my 
relationship with the contractors that I'm using for my consulting side anyway. And I basically use those resources to, um, to solve problems for the, whatever problems come up. So right now I have three or four guys I work with, but it's on a piecemeal basis. You know, I pay them by the hour for the work that they do. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some months that mean, you know, on a single customer, I may not break even if there's a bunch of problems. Um, but in some cases, in most cases, it, that's totally fine. There's zero cost to it. Um, and for a couple of guys, I do have like a hybrid model where I cut them in on the recurring because they're a consultant freelancer too, and they want some dependable revenue. And I would ideally like them to be familiar with the code base of that customer. Mm-hmm. So I think either model works. But you're, by definition, that service that you're providing is an on-call service. Like we're, if something breaks, we're here, we're ready, yeah. and we got your back. So you have to have some way of retaining those people who work for you to make sure they're available when you need them to be. Sure, but keep in mind that this is App Aftercare, right, which goes through the App Store approval process. So this isn't like a, they call us in the middle of the night and who's going to answer the phone type deal. It's like it's breaking, so we'll go in and fix it. But a fix still takes an approval process. With wow. Apple. You know, so it takes five days at the very least. Um, so, so it's, it's only so fast you can respond. Right. And I would charge, you know, if, if it was like a real time, they beat me, if people still had beavers, uh, then I would charge much more than what I do. Because then I would need to staff up. I would need to make sure that that's at any given when I go, you know, hiking for a couple of days, that someone else is there to answer. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's a concern when you start doing it. But, you know, it depends on the business that you have. So, um, my entry into this. Um, this field, this this area that you've developed an expertise in was through your email course. Sure. Um, I, I was among the first batch of people that you were trying that. You were so early that, in fact, that you fell out of my automation, <laughs> yeah. so I had to resend you all the original emails. Yeah, and I'm not usually early to anything. I just happened to be sitting right behind you. Yeah. Um, but the, the, the progression of that, um, of that email course... You sort of broke apart and, and, and split off the different components necessary to develop uh, a productized consulting offering. Sure. And one thing that was really um, uh, appealing to me that I, that I still laugh about is that you, you're emphasizing that you need to be selling something that you already do, sure. that you already uh, are a master of. And I was, reading, I was reading your email course and I was thinking of all the things we could do. It was like stuff we do, but not quite. And I kept thinking in those terms, and I finally had a conversation with someone else who somehow the, the, the light bulb went off. And I realized there is stuff that we do today that we could productize right. without really any change at all. The challenge, I think, from what I'm learning from you is to strip it down. Yes. Because the thing we do today that I can productize is actually pretty large, like the, the scope of what we can do and the, the, the variability is too big for a proper productized consulting offering. Sure. Um, and I'm still wrestling with that. Right. I mean, can you speak to that point at all? So I think it depends. Like, you know, the way that I think of productized consulting is like it runs the gamut from on the one extreme, you know, a hundred bucks a month, which I think is a terrible market, by the way, because then you do have to really worry about staffing up and managing several, probably dozen at least, employees or contractors before you can even start making any kind of money through to, you know, I have people that I work with who are charging 10 grand a month. Um, 
And so if you're charging 10 grand a month, then the things that you can, that you can package and sell can be significantly bigger. Um, so the only question is, are you, is it, even though it's big, it has to be contained. So it's not really about the size of the thing that you're offering. It's how contained it is in terms of scope creep. Because you don't want to end up in a situation where, like, you're getting kicked 500 bucks a month, and it turns out you're actually, like, a feature developer for whatever they can think of that day, um, you know. So I don't necessarily think it's about, you know, making it large or making it big. I think it's about having defining the product in such a way that it's contained mm-hmm. by the fact it's clear limits of what is and isn't provided. Um, so I think that's the main issue. And, and the other point that you're speaking to, and what I do hammer home is, like, don't make the mistake that I've been making, which is like, oh, uh, I'm going to sell, you know, not with that Baptocare, but the previous products. Like, oh, I'm going to sell to mortgage brokers because there's a lot of mortgage brokers and I'm a technical guy and I'm sure they have some technical problems that I can solve for them. You know, I don't know anything about mortgage brokers. I don't know how to sell to them, which was became painfully apparent to me over two years when I tried to sell this thing. It's much like... In addition to like packaging whatever offering that is that you have into something that's contained and you know manageable and you can think about as a product as something self-contained, it's about selling that thing to an existing market that you're already part of, you're already selling into. Like I think that's very important. The there's a question of enforcement, uh, and like the model I'm I'm working on that we've discussed is we we provide this service where we. Uh, we help people integrate their Expression Engine website with their Salesforce account. Sure. We do that in a lot of different ways. There's like three categories that are more common. The problem with me setting up that kind of a service is that there, it's it becomes a platform. Every time I've done this before, it's a platform upon which you can build all sorts of interesting sure. integrations. That's and why they do it in the first place. Set up interesting business rules and hey, you know, do all this really cool stuff that you know enhances their business, but it's featured build and I would be in a position to enforce my own rules of saying yeah you get three hours or you get so and so scope or whatever per month mm-hmm. and then I have to be a cop and police it your model with app aftercare is just native to the the system itself like this example of um, how quickly must you respond to a help request well sure. only so quickly because the, the fix is not going to get into the app into the store for five days or so sure. the, the nature of the uh, the offering is one where you don't have to enforce it as much as what I would have to do. Sure. Um, is there any caution that you want to send my way or do you want to say walk away from what I'm thinking about and find something else that's not as enforcement heavy? So <clears throat> the way that I started out with that after get because it came out of like a recurring, <coughs> recurring maintenance model for my own customers, it was very much more tied to time. Like I didn't like, so right now what I say is, you know, if you sign up, it's an unlimited amount of, you know, crashes and, and crash fixes and small jobs. Unlimited. Like, don't even worry about it. Like, if it's a crash or some sort of small tweak, we'll just do it. Um, and so the enforcement there is much easier because it's like, you know, people come to me and they say, hey, you know, we want to integrate Facebook and have, like, a social feed added to the app. I'm like, well, that's not a small job. And what it boils down to is the customer. You know, like if, you know, if you have an unreasonable customer who feels like, oh, for, you know, twelve ninety five a month, I can basically build the next version of my app and have you be my, like, in-house developer, well, then that's not a good relationship, in which case you inform them that this is not a, 
to what it's supposed to be like. And if they don't, if they don't adhere to that and keep requesting things and keep adding things that clearly aren't, you know, part of the scope for us, we just fire them. We say, I'm sorry, this isn't going to work out for us. Goodbye. And that's the nice thing you can do with something like a prioritized consulting, because unlike, say, if, you know, Google comes and gives you $150,000 for something, if halfway out through, it turns out, you know, they want this feature, this feature, and they're actually kind of an asshole to work with, you've got to suck it up and keep working because it's a big part of your chunk of change that year. Mm-hmm. Um, so really, that's the approach that I take is like, just assume that most people are nice and um, diverse. I like to, to divorce, divorce, divorce it, divorce it from um, like my time in terms of hours or days or whatever, and more define it in terms of scope. Like is as in, uh, like I say, I much prefer having app after care be unlimited small jobs and fixes compared to being up to a day's worth of my time or up to X hours of development. Um, just because I don't want it to think of the product in that way. It's not about like squeezing in some features in a day's worth or anything like that. It's about, it's like an insurance offering for your app to make sure that it, it, you know, keeps your, keeps the app current and and keeps it up to date. Um, so with you, that's what I would think about. It's like, okay, what kind of thing, like, how can you define it in such a way that, you know, to be honest with you too, like what your, the reason why people would, or companies would sign up for this is because of the value that the integration would provide, which includes, you know, adding some, adding features and stuff and building things on top of that integration. Um, but you just need to find a way to make it crystal clear that what we do is that we maintain this connection and we enable you to go out somewhere else and build all those features and all this stuff. And, you know, potentially we could be the ones who build that for you if that's something you want to take on. But, you know, clearly delineate the fact that this is the connection and that's the value we provide with this service. And it's not, you know, uh, it's not, is this feature only three hours? Well, then we can squeeze it in under the, under the product consulting offering. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Another thing that you did uh, in one of those uh, emails in the course was um, we talked about the puppy dog sales. That's <laughs> my favorite. <laughs> and I did that last week. How'd it go? Um, it, it, went, it was disappointing in the sense that the, the feedback financially that I got was not what I wanted to hear. It didn't confirm what you and I set up. It told me something else. I'll, I'll go into that in a sec. But the, the puppy dog sales approach is, is the one where you, um, you're going to validate an idea that you have. So you go to an existing, in my case, an existing client or a, a client who was a previous client very recently. And you come in and you say, hey, I got an idea for a thing. And um, I'm not trying to sell it to you. I'm just asking for your feedback. Uh, I just, you know, you represent the marketplace that I'm trying to serve. And I just want to know what you think about this thing I want to sell. And promise I'm not going to sell it to you. You're not, you know, you're not on the hook for that. But just give me some of your, some of your feedback. And so I took these two to lunch. And and, and at the time we did the job, they were really cool. Some of my best clients really enjoyed it. When I did the gig, I wrote a proposal, and the job came in at half the cost. Sure. Because I'd done it so many times, it was finally scaling. Sure. And it was really easy. And they were good clients, too. Though they stayed within the bounds. So I sat them down, and I said, what happens if I turn this into a subscription model? You know, what if you got this thing for instead of an upfront charge and, um, and then nothing after? What if you just paid a monthly subscription to keep the thing alive? And you didn't pay for the upfront bit. Sure. You just folded that in over time. And you didn't have to worry about it. 
And the feedback was, first of all, yeah, we like the idea of the program. It makes sense. We don't need it because obviously your software's stable enough. We haven't had to call you. <laughs> so Shit. Don't sell it to me. <laughs> but, I mean, that's a sweet spot. If, if, if they buy the insurance program for something that doesn't break, good. And if the price is right, then they benefit from the peace of mind that I benefit because it's not even work. Yeah. In their case, they said, um, we would rather, we would pay you to do the setup. We'd pay a setup fee. And then a much cheaper ongoing monthly fee. Yeah. And they're like 150 bucks a month, three grand setup, sure. which would have covered my cost. But the thing you're cautioning me about that low of a monthly recurring revenue. Um, what are your thoughts on that? You know, is it do I walk away from this and come up with a different model? So I think in this specific case, like uh, it depends. So I think I've seen people do prioritize consulting thing with large setup and then smaller. Maintenance, you know, I think if they're saying 150, you could probably sell them on 250. <laughs> so I don't, I'm not too worried about that. And also, like, uh, my rule of thumb is that a customer is going to stay customer for about a year. So if you take the three grand and then add the, you know, say, 250 for 12 months, my math is terrible here, you know, five grand, six and a half, something like that, six and a half thousand, that ends up being about 500 bucks a month. So, you know, if they're, it's not that I haven't seen it work. I think usually the it depends what they're used to paying for. You know, in your case, I think they're used to paying a bunch of money to have this happen. Yeah. And so, you know, modeling off that, modeling it off that um, expectation might be the right approach. And so you have a fixed fee that's lower than you know your competitors, and then you you sell them just on the lowest maintenance. But and also, if honestly, if your product doesn't break, then it's free money um, on the back end. Um, that being said, like these are already customer of yours who have experienced your product, who have paid for it, and have seen that it doesn't break. So selling them on the insurance for it is like, uh, but it's nothing wrong with it. Like it's great. Yeah, um, that's why they're a good puppy dog sales approach. Yeah, because I was telling them the truth when I said you don't need this because you know that you don't need this. Yeah, um, but it's not true actually because there are ways that that thing can break. It's just. It's not going to break just without any change. Sure. If a change happens on this side or this side, you know, on the expression engine side or the Salesforce side, then my stuff can break. And they're going to be like, what it happens on my other engagement. So there is an sure. argument to be made for... For the insurance, sure. I'd buy for the insurance, right? Um, but, you know, in my case, different from yours, I can, if I wanted to, set up my system so that if you don't pay your monthly fee, I turn the system off and it stops working. Sure. It's not built that way right now. Sure. Um, but I could. Should I? In other words, should you have... I, I've, I've watched you as you shape these, uh, your productized consulting ideas. And you, your stuff is always around um, reducing friction. Sure. So to the customer, don't worry. Don't worry, just sign up. Don't worry. Sign up. We'll take care of you. Don't worry. We're not going to nickel and dime you. We're not going to bug you about the changes that you need made. Just don't worry about it. Sure. Just sign up. Everything's going to be fine. <laughs> That's my sales approach <laughs> in, in life in general. Yeah. Just give me the credit card Just give me the money. and everything will be fine. <laughs> It'll be okay. But that is my approach a lot of the time. Like I was talking to one of the other guys I'm working with and he's like, you know, he's got this thing, uh, great service actually, like a WordPress, like a high-end WordPress concierge yeah. thing. And he says, I got somebody come in and they wanted to do this 
thing, but they want me to do a bunch of work up front that's clearly more than, you know, what would normally be covered. And he's like, it was umming and on, and I was like, just do it. Yeah, just front load the stuff, get the value from them, and then, you know, just, you know, just make the money on the back end. You've, you've, you know, if you do that stuff, if you go out on a limb, then you've established your value up front, and they're much more likely to remain good customers for you for a long time. Unless they look like pathological liars and they're yeah. canceled on you after month one, you know. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, it is an issue just because some of the time the um, the, the things that, that come up as good product as consulting things are better suited to, like, an upfront fee plus a monthly engagement. There's no doubt about it. There are some cases where it's like there's a bunch of stuff that needs to be done, and then from there on it's tweaks and maintenance. Um, do I think those are bad models? No. As long as the setup fee is big enough, and that the, the issue I have with the large setup fee and the smaller maintenance isn't necessarily that there's a large setup fee and a smaller maintenance. In fact, I think I would prefer that if I could get it, because then you have money in the pocket, and everything else is just gravy. Right? My issue is with it is always if you can't sell it, because I think a lot of the time, yeah, that's what it comes in. If you can sell it, like if you can sell a large setup fee plus like a monthly thing, then I, that's that's what I think you should do. Yeah, someone's missing sunglasses. Yeah, the, um, the the concern I have is with friction, and that is um, I'd have to get the setup fee to be the right size to fit into the, the budget of someone who has a certain level of approval. Sure. That's part of the trick here is that you can um, – I, I, I was talking to a, a lead, a potential client, a month and a half ago, and she was going to be in charge of the web properties at a hospital. In the area, and um, in order for her for her to get any work done, she would have to get my proposal approved by the board of directors. Sure. And the board of directors, first of all, hardly ever meets, and when they do meet, I don't know what they talk about. Not my proposal, most likely. Sure. Apparently, because it's been six weeks, <laughs> um, and she just needs little stuff done. We put it all into one big list and wrote a proposal, twenty thousand dollar proposal, and she can't get it approved sure. because they never even freaking meet. But if I had some sort of a... For 500 bucks a month or 1000 you know, so Put your credit card in. What's your approval level? Like, what are you allowed to approve? Yeah. And I'll make a plan at that level. And we'll just spread it out over time. Sure. We're going to definitely do that. Like, that's an obvious one. Even more obvious than the Salesforce thing. Yeah. But the friction is the question. Like, how, um, it, how do you determine uh, what that level is? And this is what I like about your model is that you, you intend from the outset to churn through so many people like you intend to go through so many prospects knowing that hardly any of them then will turn in turn into money right a small little chunk of them will and that small little chunk even within that you know eventually you get down to the sweet spot but your model is that you're going to go through a lot of human beings to get to your revenue model i think yeah i think the fun one of the mindsets that needs to change for uh, most freelancers i think is that most freelancers are used to um are used to serving everyone that walks through the door and it's the mind, and, and honestly, like a lot of the time, like you, particularly you look at developers, like that's what you know. The term drives me crazy. Like full stack developer. What does that mean? It means you're absolutely you can do everything. Oh, really? You're going to be great at everything, <laughs> like design, database query optimization, you know, Rails infrastructure, DevOps. You're going to be good at everything. Absolutely everything. That's what you're good at. You have experience in every programming language. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not going to pay you full price for that. Um, which is more a positioning thing than anything else. But I think the fundamental mindset that comes from that and comes with that is, and, and, it, and it's, again, 
based on not understanding. It's sort of the way that I think about it is like it's like embracing, you know, the mindset of scarcity. Like because you've never gone out and see how many companies are out there and how much money is being spent to solve the problem that you could solve. Then and because the only traffic you see are referral traffic that walks in the door with you, you want to solve every problem for those people. They come in and they're like, "Hey, I, I you know, I like you because my friend referred you, and I know you're a technical guy with you know, and I have some money." And you're like, "Great, I'm going to solve this problem for that person." If once you start switching to, if you think about it in the other extreme as a product, then the product solves a given problem for a very specific, very specific non-flexible way. And I think it's important to move to that other mindset. And having a productized consulting product means you go out and you're not going to, like App Aftercare, for example, isn't for everybody. Like it's not for random person who just built an app for themselves and now it's crashing and needs help. It's not for companies that are doing, you know, that have a ton of iOS developers and are focusing exclusively on this app and want it to go to Interstellar. They, it's for companies that have an app in the App Store already and it supports their main product but it's not their main product and in order to find those yeah i probably have to turn down and go through companies that aren't good fits but once you find the good fits they're great they're much better than just a random person that walks in the door and wants some stuff and i think that's the key like narrowing down and defining what it is that your product is allows you to go out and then find the perfect customer for that product as opposed to with you know most referral traffic, most freelancers, it's like anyone who wants to give me money, I will make an effort to solve their problem, no matter what you know, pain in the ass the earth work. I like the shift in mindset, and this is what I'm really gravitating to as, as I talk to you about it and do the course and stuff. And that, the shift in mindset is you're looking for a way to scale yes. what you do anyway. Um, and scale, all of a sudden, you're starting to make your brand creep into different territory, which is to say, if I want something that scales, it means I want something that can be used by thousands of people. Yeah, or by not necessarily by thousands of people, but you know, you're starting to think like, you know, I think you think of all these people who have these different problems, and I need to encompass all their problems. Whereas that's not the case. You need to have something that works for a subset of the people, and then just go find out more of that subset of the people. Like maybe working with people who have to have a, a board approval to, for a spend is not a great idea. So stop doing that. Like. You know, go look for somebody who has a company that has, you know, raised at least $50 million or making $50 million a year revenue. But the mindset shift is, uh, is refreshing because, you know, as a, as a consultant serving clients, even as my team grows, it's only so large. And there's only so many engagements that we can take on at any one time. Sure. <clears throat> so our mind is, by nature, sort of focused on a small subset of the entire marketplace. Sure. And this approach allows you and requires that you change your mindset and think, all right, so um, I have this idea for how to productize this particular service. How can it, um, to whom does it appeal? Well, it appeals to a possible group of, like you and I did it the other day. We were basically asking, loosely asking the question, how many people to whom um, could we target as prospects? And I don't know, 5,000 or so on, some number of people just by one initial look at, at uh, you know, some scraping of, of a sales database or something. Sure. Um, but what happens is that you get, to, your, your head shifts and it goes into a space of abundance instead of scarcity. Exactly. There's, there's a scarce amount of my time available to serve clients and they have to be just the perfect fit for what we do. 
and there's this many slots available and it's very fragile and you can't help but go into the scarcity mindset. This one is one of abundance. Once you have the scale set up where um, once you find the right client profile for this particular service, you know, you make incremental changes to support more volume. Sure. But not that much. I mean, you can really handle a lot. And to a degree, what you end up doing a lot of times is cutting down things. Like you end up yeah. casting your net a little wider initially, and then you figure out like who's a good customer, who churns quickly, you know, who's a pain to work with. And then based on that, I did this with App Aftercare just the other day. I just narrowed it down to just be even more laser focused because once you've done that, it's much easier to sell and you know you provide value. You know you provide value to this customer. You look around, you see there are thousands of these potential customers. So that's what I'm going to do. And, and the fundamental difference too is like, unlike with a SaaS business, uh, you know, where you need, you know, you need to have 100,000 subscribers to have a significant business. If you have a business that charges a thousand bucks a month, you have a million dollar business if, you're, if you have 83 customers. And if you can laser focus, find down something, and then look around and see there are you know, five, easily 5,000 companies that fit my ideal perfect profile for this thing where I've already shown that I can provide value to a few customers, that makes you feel better about your, you know, your, your growth prospects. And, and in fact, niching down maybe even further or charging more and just going higher end. Because that's the solution too, is like, okay, you go out and maybe you're used to charging 150, maybe that's what you do to start. Once you get into it, you start to realize, yes, I can provide this value. These people are happier. And you just up your prices. You maybe triple your prices. And yeah, your, your, the, the number of prospects go down, but there's still plenty that because you are positioned as a very high-end provider of this service, you can go after those and you know maybe twice as hard to get where you're charging three times as much. I think one of my favorite things about what what you've been doing lately is the psychological components of it. And as I've been looking at marketing and sales this year, I'm, I, I come back over and over again to the psychology that's involved. Sure. Scarcity abundance really is, is kind of the best language to use for it. And your approach is um, in, embedded in the approach is to say there are many, many people who need lots of different kinds of services. And how can you narrow down what it is you do so that you can it's overwhelming to look at an entire marketplace, to look, you know, fly into LA and look out over the entire expanse of the city and, and wonder, like, to whom should I provide services? Yes, I will do anything. I will clean so your bowls. I will drive your car. It's so overwhelming that you don't see abundance. You see scarcity because you're all, you know, it's too much to take in. But when you start to focus more narrowly about what you can do and, and how that could scale, somehow the irony is that that flips and all of a sudden you see all this opportunity and all this abundance, in particular because you have an idea for how you can go and find those people. Once you know their profile and how to describe them, the sales process begins to unfold in front of you. The prospecting begins sure. to sort of show itself, which is an interesting thing about what you do too. Like you've built a prospecting tool yes. that takes advantage of the fact that there's a LinkedIn and LinkedIn exposes signals, buying signals. Yes. And you can tap into that. I think that's interesting to talk about too. Sure. And actually, that's the service that I just, um, product, I didn't actually don't know if you know that, but <laughs> that's the service that I just launched last week is prioritized consulting offering that focuses just on, <coughs> we come in, if you have a prioritized consulting business and you already have a few customers and you want to start doing um, outreach like outbound sales, we come in, we look at your, we work with you to find your ideal customer base. 
And then based on our crawler infrastructure and some premium sources, like you say, like LinkedIn, like Crunchbase, like Mattermark, like BuiltWith, all these tools, we put together a list and do the outbound emails on your behalf. Um, but but that's the part that's you know that's the part that really opened my mind to like okay, I didn't really know before I started looking for app aftercare how many companies that fit my profile that I know that I wouldn't want to work with based on you know certain criteria. How many of those people actually do release an app every day or every week? And I was like, is it is it nobody? Is it like one every month? Turns out there's about um, 150 every week that fit my profile that release an app. And just going through that process and saying, okay, I can, and, and the fact is now companies are putting more and more stuff online, whether directly or not, they're putting things online that you can hook into and which means that your outreach to them can be much more targeted, much more personalized and much more likely to succeed. And so um, that's the fundamental shift for, I think, going from consulting where, like I said, how do you know if, you know, Acme Inc. is thinking of building a new, you know, iPhone app? You don't know. You have no, no way of knowing unless they reach out to you and say, hey, we need some help building an iPhone app. Mm-hmm. Versus if Acme Inc. just released an app in the App Store, I can see that because it's public. It's in the App Store. And as long as I can grab that information, correlate it with the databases that tell me what kind of company this is, <coughs> you know, do they have you know, 50 employees? Did they just raise $7.5 million dollars? Um, you know, are they in an industry that I like to work with? I understand the value of keeping the app up to date. Well, then I'm going to reach out to those guys and be like, hey, and, and for, truthfully, I can reach out to them and say, I really think you'll get value from the service that I have to offer. Here's what it costs. Let's talk. For me, this has been a missing piece for, for a long time. And that is, as a word of mouth business, I just wait. Sure. Just try to patiently wait. Maybe sit on the beach and wait. Maybe you know, go, <laughs> maybe desperately go for a, you know, <laughs> run around in panic, waiting. Sure, but you don't have to wait anymore. If, right. If you can, it doesn't have to be productized consulting. But for me, it's the most obvious thing. Sure. That you've created a thing that you can go out and sell. Sure. And you don't even have to go out. It doesn't mean I'm calling people cold on the phone. It means in your model, there's a hybrid. There's a um, there's uh, code and servers and machines that go and grab data and then human beings go and process that and winnow that down to actual contacts that you should reach out to. Sure. That goes back into an automated system that's a you know an email marketing system. Sure. Until you have an actual lead who wants to talk to you. Yeah. And the this is the mere prospect that I can go out outbound and grab someone uh, is really appealing. Not that I want to do it, but at least I could there's some way that I can go out and get work. Sure. And I think a lot of people like me feel that way. Sitting around and waiting and hoping is murder. It's terrible. And like, you know, like, I think what makes that even worse is that we all read the same news tech news sources and the same, like, 101 marketing tips for your business, blah, blah, blah. And it's all the same stuff. Like, it's, it's stuff that's targeted at $49 a month. SaaS, self-serve SaaS businesses. It's like, oh, you should blog twice a week or, you know, you should, you should, you know, have a great, you know, share fantastic things on Twitter and you should do all this stuff. The fact is that stuff is almost impossible to get right. If you're targeting, if you're, if you're providing a service that's high end enough that the people who have to make the decision have to be VP of engineering, CTO, CEO type people. You know, how do I write a blog? For example, say I wanted to start blogging for AppAfterCare. And I may do that just for shits and giggles. But, you know, how do I do that in a really targeted way that's actually going to get me inbound leads? The fact is, 
I can't write a blog that's only read by CEOs of tech firms in the Bay Area, Austin, New York City, London, between 50 and 250 employees, because what the hell would I write about? Like, what attracts only those people? I would have to have a blog that's like, has a huge volume of yeah. readers, and then through that, also capture some of those high value prospects. The problem is to get a huge number of readers, I have to you know, appeal to a ton of people. And I can't then talk about the specific problems that these people have, because by definition, that doesn't, isn't interesting to the huge volume of people you get, need to get those prospects to come there in the first place. So that's the problem. Like when you're doing high-end, and the fact remains, like if you look at any of the high-end SaaS services, you know, HubSpot, you know, anyone, any one of them, any one of them they're considering to do, considering doing IPOs anytime soon, they all have dedicated outbound sales generators. Yes, they're doing the inbound stuff too, and they're doing everything they can, but they're doing outbound sales for sure. Nobody's not doing that. Nobody's not doing that. Is that right? Is that a double negative? <laughs> Triple? It's still valid. So let's do some plugging. Uh, your, sure. Is it productizedconsulting.com? Check it out. It goes out. Uh, yeah, it's open now. Closes enrollment June 1st. I think I had some uh, um, some happy readers last time around. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, just go to productizedconsulting.com. Put your name and email address in, and I'll feed you that in June. Uh, and then my prospecting tool is on outreachsignals.com. And just onboarding my first customer there hopefully two customers in the next week or so. And actually that's a, I'm doing something, I guess a little out of the ordinary there. I'm like being super open about the, I don't know if you know this, I'm being super open about the, uh, the metrics. Yeah. So unfortunately the CEO of Bear Metrics has gone on some sort of a vacation without a cell phone. So it isn't set up yet. <laughs> but I was like talking to him because I, I know I'm through the microcoms and it's like, you know, I should just have one, this be like one of your open like dashboards that show all the metrics for how much MRR is coming in, how many customers, valuable customer. So I'm doing that um, because I wanted to be the first one that has zero MRR <laughs> as it launches. <laughs> so that's, I'm hoping that I don't, well, it's funny because now I kind of hope want customers, but I want to be the first one with a public zero MRR dashboard. Um, so I'm doing that. And then also in the blog email newsletter, what I'm going to do is at least for the foreseeable future is every time that dashboard moves, I'm going to say, okay, this is the customer I got. This is how much they're paying. Like I'm not saying who they are, obviously, but, uh, like this is how I got them. Like, and you know, obviously it's a cold, uh, outbound sales prospecting tool. So I will be doing out, you know, outbound prospecting with the tool and I'm going to share those numbers in terms of like open rates, response rates, how many deals do I actually get from doing the outreach? What kind of signals were I, was I looking for, uh, as I was doing the outreach, that kind of thing. This, you know, the terminology and language you're, you're throwing around is stuff that's totally foreign to me, but it, sure. when I've developed some facility with it. Um, I just feel better. I feel feel more confident about being able to proactively deal with the ups and downs, ebb and flow of, of sure. my business. I think a lot of people like me will feel that way. But it requires that we develop some stuff that is sellable in smaller chunks in a scalable way. I think so. And also I think, like, you know, it's one of those things. To a degree, like, it's, it's, you don't have to do that much. Like, just think about it. Like, don't overthink it. Just put the thing together. And then put it out there. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Yeah. You'll do something else. You know, it turns out you put it out there, turns out it only attracts like psychological 
Psycho cases, clients, well, you've refunded and fired them all. Move on. <laughs> you don't owe them anything. All right. Well, thanks for the time. Thanks for having me. All right, man.